This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Hi, thanks for joining us on another To The Point Podcast. We are glad to have you with us for another episode. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb & Pitts Insurance in Memphis, Tennessee. I have with me Stacy Barrow, our ERISA attorney. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Sarah. So, um, okay, Congress recently passed the Consolidated Appropriations Act that we know about. Uh, it includes additional COVID-19 relief for FSAs, dependent care accounts, if employers wish to make changes for their plans. So these amendments are especially helpful to participants that have been spending less than expected on healthcare, dependent care during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, they provide flexibility with respect to carryovers of unused amounts, extend the time period for incurring claims, permit post-termination reimbursements from health FSAs, and they even provide special rules for dependents who aged out of that decap during the public health emergency. But what I want to talk about today with you, Stacy, is this IRS notice 2021-15, because it provided clarity to some of these special rules and added some additional flexibility for cafeteria plans. So can you walk us through what these options are now available to employers and, and kind of what um, this new guidance is on how to use them? Sure. So, you know, as part of this Consolidated Appropriations Act, there was some uh, relief for health independent care FSAs, um, and there was obviously some gaps to fill in. The IRS released this, I think it's about 35-page notice um, to guide employers in implementing this relief. Um, and so there's yeah, definitely some interesting pieces here. So all of these are voluntary for an employer to adopt. This is, um, you know, none of this is mandatory, unlike the um, extensions we talked about on another episode. Um, you you have a lot of flexibility here with what you, you do or do not adopt. Um, you can adopt it for the health FSA, not the dependent care or vice versa. Um, plenty of flexibility here. So what you can do, um, and we'll go through them, one, one item or one element of the relief is that health FSAs and dependent care assistance plans can adopt an unlimited carryover. So the entire amount that um, a participant had remaining at the end of the plan year, plan years ending in 2020 and 2021 may be rolled over, um, carried over to the the subsequent year. Um, It's essentially a suspension of the use it or lose it rule. And it's a suspension, I guess, just to clarify, so far only for those two plan years, plan years ending in 2021, uh, 2020 and 2021. So, so far still temporary. But my question is how does this impact HSA eligibility? Because say that the employee or the spouse have newly enrolled in an HSA for the 2021 plan year and they have this money that the employer has decided that they're now going to allow them to carry over. What can the employee choose um, to waive the carryover option so it won't impact their HSA eligibility or like what, what could they do in that situation? 
Sure. So um, you have a little bit of flexibility here as well. So just like in, in prior years, you can have a general purpose FSA and also be HSA eligible at the same time. So if your employer is going to implement something, um, some of this relief in a way that makes you now ineligible to participate in an HSA, you could um, disclaim the carryover, you could waive it, um, and you could also convert it to a limited purpose or post-deductible FSA if offered by your employer. Um, and the relief even goes so far as to allow you um, to, let, to allow employees on a um, employee by employee basis to change their election from general purpose to limited purpose FSA during the year. And you don't have to allow this, but you could allow it. And then that would allow the employee to be HSA eligible going forward. Um, and like Sarah said, this is temporary relief. Um, and I do suspect that you know, all of this will be temporary. Even in the notice, the IRS says that, you know, for any plan years ending in 2022, the regular rules regarding carryovers and grace periods are going to apply. Okay, so let's talk about what it means now that you've got this extra money that you can roll over and yet the cap previously for a pre-tax situation was 2750. Right. So the um, with the, regard to the carryover, um, you know, the, the full carryover for the health FSA um, can be or the full balance can be carried over um, from 2020 to 2021, um, all, you know, pre-tax, just like it went in. That limit was twenty seven fifty for employee contributions. And then for the dependent care plans also, um, you could allow them to carry over the full Five thousand in in uh, in contributions to the 2021 plan year, um, and that would not impact the ability to contribute in 2021. So you could have a situation where the employee say has ten thousand dollars in 2021 in his dependent care plan to use on qualified expenses. There is still the question though of um, how much is excludable from income? Um, under the law, only 5,000 independent care expenses are excludable from income. And the stimulus bill and the IRS guidance um, is a little vague on, you know, could anything over 5,000 be excluded from income? It seems as of today, the answer is no. But the stimulus bill that's currently making its way through the Senate has a provision that increases the exclusion to $10,500 for dependent care um, for the net for these, you know, for, for the duration of this relief. Um, so it, it kind of addresses that issue. Um, but at any rate, so to kind of get back to this, this particular item of the relief, you can let people carry over their full balances from 2020 to 2021 um, and 2021 to 2022 um, on the healthcare and dependent care plans. Okay, so that's the rollover. How is the grace period impacted? So it kind of gets you to the same place at the end of the day. Um, it results in a full 
carryover of the elections from one year to the other or the balances from one year to the other. Um, but some plans have grace periods that are normally two and a half months following the end of the plan year. They can now be extended to 12 months after the end of the 2020 or 2021 plan years. So, um, and just, I'm sure most of our listeners know, but you can either have a grace period or a rollover. You, you don't have both. So can employers newly adopt a grace period or a rollover if they did not have one before, or could they change from one to the other? Like you said, it's kind of a, you know, kind of the same in either situation, they're comparable, but if they wanted for some reason to change, could they? Yes, you can newly adopt one to take advantage of the relief, or you can change from one to the other. Um, This was something we kind of suspected was the case because before the law was signed, like the day before Christmas, um, no dependent care had a carryover. So we would have had to amend all of our dependent care plans before the first of the year, unless we could do it now. Um, And so there's a lot of relief on the timing for making these amendments. Um, And this notice, I think, specifically says that you you can do this. You can add these to your plan at this time um, to take advantage of um, these new features. Okay, so I want to know what you think about this. So I had read that both options, if they were fully implemented without limits, they both permit employees to avoid forfeitures and retain the full access to the funds remaining in the account at the end of these years, 2020 and 2021. But with respect to a health FSA for the 2022 plan year, that a grace period could be more favorable because the entire amount remaining at the end of the 2022 plan year, which could be as much as 8750 if you think about it, because it would be um, a possible 500 carryover from 2019 into 2020, and then 2750 for those three years, 2020, 2021, 2022, that that could still be available to reimburse expenses through what would be, if we go back to all the normal rules, March 15th of 2023. But under the standard carryover permission, only 550 could be rolled over into the 2023 plan year from 2022. This is way overthinking it. This is going (laughs) way far down that rabbit hole. But I mean, that could be a real scenario, right? If employers were wanting to have a reason to consider a grace period over a rollover. Yeah. You know, maybe you have an employee considering brain surgery. Um, True. He's trying to, you know, <laughs> stack up some money in his FSA. But you're so this is just essentially the question of, well, what's more preferable, the grace period or the carryover? Um, and I don't know that this really changes that question, right? Is it better to have more for the first two and a half months of the year or less for the full 12 months? Um, and by then it won't be 550. It, it'll, it could be 600 or 650. So, you know, you think about what the balances are, you know, are you going to have anybody with 8750 in their account or will the accounts be at a much you know, lower level? I, I will say in my experience, I think a lot of employers are moving toward the carryover rather than the grace period. But, um, you know, it's certainly a choice. 
Okay. I just thought it was a unique situation that I had come across and I thought, well, I guess that could happen. And I suppose maybe that could be favorable, but yes, you make a good point too, that the 550 may not only be 550 by the time we get there. So, okay, let's talk about, um, uh, the spend down balance for someone who is no longer, well, they cease their health FSA participation. What can happen in that scenario? Um, so employees, again, a voluntary thing for employers to adopt. You can adopt a what's referred to as a spend down provision in your health FSA. Um, these currently exist for dependent care plans, but they're not widely adopted. But it basically just allows someone who terminates participation mid-year to continue to access their year-to-date contributions. They don't get access to the full amount, just what they've contributed to date. And so just so that I understand, this is allowed without a COBRA election because this is someone who is no longer participating in the FSA, but has access to spend down their balance like previously how it would work under COBRA, but this does not require a COBRA election? Well, it's not exactly how it works under COBRA, right? Because under COBRA, you get access to the full balance. This just allows you to access your year-to-date contributions. Right. Oh, good so, clarification. Okay. Yeah. So um, it doesn't obviate the need for a COBRA notice. If the if the account is underspent, you still need to send a COBRA notice because the employee might say, well, actually, I'd rather have the full balance. I'm willing to pay for it rather than just access to what I've put in year to date. Got it. Okay. That is an important distinction. Um, Okay, so another provision, employees can be reimbursed for the entire year for children who turned age 13 in 2020 or the 2021 plan year, rather than just be reimbursed up until they reach 13, which was the, I don't know what the term for that is, the qualifying age or the, the age limit or something that a DCAP can be used for. Right, right. Under standard DCAP rules, um, a child's eligibility ends at age 13. You no, know, could end in the middle of the, the year. You know, once they hit 13, then, um, then that's it. The relief bill basically substitutes age 14 for age 13 so that employees who now maybe have access to these rolled over balances or greater balances during the grace period can continue to use them for a child um, who is 13 but not yet 14. And it only relates to the balance in um, the the DCAP um, based on the 2020 plan year. Um, it can be used in 2021, but you can't make a new 2021 contribution and, and use it under this age 14 rule. Okay. And so um, the last provision that I wanted to talk about was the one that would allow employers uh to permit election changes for all pre-tax health benefits in the 2021 plan year without a qualifying reason. So I think this is basically the same as what was previously allowed for 2020. It's just extended into 2021. Is that right? Yes. Yep, exactly. Okay. 
So um, I know that you had mentioned earlier that none of these are mandatory. They're all options. So what kind of parameters can employers put on these options? Like if they want to allow a carryover or a grace period, do they have to allow the carryover of the full amount? Or can they make someone make some kind of election into 2021 to get access to the carryover amount? Like what kind of rules and all can they put in with this stuff? Yeah, I definitely think that um, they should. You should have someone make an election to access the carryover, um, and you can allow someone to make an election now um, to access the carryover um, because you can make you can allow election changes during the year without a change in status event. So, like you were saying, um, there's a lot of flexibility um, for FSA and dependent care and healthcare, you know, medical plan elections. Um, employees can increase or decrease or or um, revoke their FSA election at any time during the year. One of the interesting things, this was true last year as well, um, that uh, you can allow an employee, you know, say they're, they waive coverage in January under the FSA, and in March, they have a $1,000 medical claim. They could then in June make a request to enroll in the health FSA and contribute $1,000 from July through December. They could then submit that claim back from March to the FSA for 2021. So that's pretty neat. That's a pretty interesting element of relief. I, I wish that would be permanent. It would make these accounts a lot more useful, um, but it is very useful for 2021 and allows Definitely. a little bit of arbitrage. Definitely. So to the uh, for the employee to be able to have that option, though, the employer would have to amend their plan, indicating that they were going to allow for election changes mid-year without qualifying events, though, right? Right, right, exactly. Okay. Okay. And so as far as the timing of these amendments, when do they need to be done to impact the plan year? Um, you have a lot of time to formally amend the plan. You have until the end of the calendar year after the uh, plan year ends. So for like a 2020 plan, you have until the end of 2021 to amend it. You can amend it back to the beginning of 2020. Um, for a 2021 plan, you have until the end of 2022. Okay, so definitely have time to be able to think about these. And so that yeah. kind of leads to my next question. I was going to ask you what steps employers should take before they really implement any of these. Like what things do they really need to consider? Maybe they need some of these, all of these, whatever. Um, but in doing that, they have time to think about them. But how, how do you think an employer should walk through what to do? I mean, they're, they're really kind of two major kind of elements of the relief, right? There's the carryover grace period type of relief, and then there's the election change relief. For the carryover grace period relief, I think you just look at your plans and see, you know, what are our forfeitures this year? Are they greater than prior years? Do we have employees that are, you know, that have been asking about this relief perhaps, or what do we do with it? What are we going to do with the balances? Then that would certainly inform your decision whether you want to offer the relief. I can tell you a lot of employers are, are offering the extended grace period or the unlimited carryover. Um, and then the other relief, the age 13 is pretty, pretty automatic. 
But you know, some employers have looked at it and said, we didn't have any children who turned 13 last year. We're not going to bother with this amendment. Um, you know, so that's kind of the calculus I would go through. And then for the election changes, it's the same thing. Do you have employees that are looking to make mid-year election changes um, or is everything pretty static? Um, if you're getting a lot of requests, if, you know, there's still kind of people saying, oh, I missed enrollment, but I, I want to enroll now, um, then then maybe it does make sense to to use this relief. And, and of course, you would need to make sure the carrier is on board if you're going to let people enroll in the plan or change benefit options, things like that. That was the only last point that I was going to make is that I think that we have to uh, be sure that when you're wanting to do these amendments, yes, make sure that it makes sense for your, your situation, but also these have to be verified with your carrier um, your administrator to ensure that they're going to allow it and uh, that they can administer it. So, okay. Any last thoughts or additional considerations for employers as they mull over these new options? Um, just, you know, you got to communicate it to employees what you're going to adopt. You do have plenty of time to formally amend the plan. There's going to be more to come with these stimulus Bill, the next stimulus bill. So, um, you know, don't necessarily need to rush into any amendments and uh, stay tuned. Yeah. And as always, if you have questions about any of this, you want to talk about a situation, um, whether it's with me or with Stacy, please reach out to me, Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at lpinsurance.com. Thanks so much for joining us in this podcast, Stacy. as always. Thank you for walking us through everything. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great day. 